I myself, I jerk off at least twice a day. Wow. Once in the morning, right after I work out, and then once right after lunch. Really? Mm -hmm. Okay? I want to. That's not why I do it. Mm -hmm. I do it because I fucking need to. Mm-hmm. What's good? Welcome back to the Pop Off Podcast, a conversation show about Martin Scorsese and awarding his career. That's right, the greatest filmmaker of all time, the greatest filmmaker alive right now. I'm joined by Spencer Hadovec, my best friend in the entire world, aka Hado. I'm Ralph Campiano. I'm your host. Hado, what does Marty mean to you? Is he your favorite director right now, or is he just kind of always been that guy that you just lean on if you need a movie to watch or something that you want to revisit or something new that you know, he might have suggested somewhere else. Yeah, he's definitely like top three for me. Sometimes number one. I do think like he's just got so many movies. He's got the perfect movies for like cable when you're just like scrolling past and you want to rewatch a couple scenes or um, he's just got so many rewatchable movies. I think it's between like him and Tarantino for me in terms of like their catalog, just how many I like. And the thing with Marty is like his catalog is so diverse and there's still tons of movies of his that I haven't seen. Um, where like, I still feel like I have this whole like section of him that I need to delve into like last temptation of Christ or, um, what other ones am I th- like boxcar Bertha still didn't get a chance to watch. Alice doesn't live here anymore. Like I still need to like cross those off, but yeah, he just got such a diverse catalog. Love the guy, you know, he can really do anything. So yeah, I'm pumped to be here. Thanks for the invite, Viv. Of course, I wouldn't have wanted to talk about it with anybody else. Um, no, that's a good point because, like, the diversification of his catalog, like, he's so stereotyped as the guy that makes gangster movies. And just because he mastered something doesn't mean... I. Th- when I was watching Killers last night, you saw it a couple of nights ago. I saw it um, last night with my dad, and you went and saw it by yourself, right? So it's kind of like this guy where you have such a close relationship to him that, like... I go to the movies by myself all the time. I think you do sometimes too, but like there are some directors where I'm just like, I need to go see this with somebody else. Like the killer, for example, like I'm going to go see the, the killer with as many people as possible because they all like David Fincher. Martin Scorsese, on the other hand, it's like three and a half hour movie, that kind of commitment for 25 year old guys. It's not always there. So I'm curious how it's going to perform and it's kind of all over the place, but one thing I was thinking about a ton last night was I was thinking about him in comparison to LeBron. LeBron's going to be in year 21 this year. He's going to average 27 points per game, seven rebounds, seven assists. Marty's like 81 years old, and he's putting out one of his 10 best movies of all time, and it's probably one of the three or four best movies of the year so far. Like, it's right up there with Oppenheimer, Barbie. I haven't seen Poor Things yet, but things of that nature, like, it's right there. So the fact that he's done it for so long, obviously he's going to have some diversification in his portfolio but he's just mastered this. Did you feel, and we don't have to talk about killers too deeply because we're going to do that with Murfeld later this week and PD too, but did you feel like he was returning to form in some areas of it with the gangster stuff or was it just a product of the story that he had to show like those murders that way and those kinds of things? Yeah, I think he's leaning on stuff from like, you know, his gang stories. There were a few parts in Killers of the Flower Moon that I wasn't expecting that felt exactly like Goodfellas and The Departed, where like even the yeah. shot looked the same. That was just kind of shocking to me because I was expecting this to just be more like, you know, he's got such a deep bag of tricks where he can do that stuff. And then also like the family stuff is done really well, where that's some of his quieter movies and maybe less seen, you know, not the the crime movies that everybody has watched. Um, I think the LeBron comparison is kind of fun because also in LeBron's older age, his game has gotten more practical where he's not doing the flashy stuff as much anymore. And I feel like in the last 10 years, Marty's just kind of like kills the fire room and Irishman in silence. Don't have those like, you know, camera whips where he's like really like showing off his stuff. Like it's really just like the story, the performances, you know, it looks fantastic, but like he's not trying to like wow you with the camera. He's more just like, focused on telling the story. So I like that comparison for LeBron. Um, I think he's pulling out the tricks though. Like every now and then, like he did like two camera whips and killers, like very quick. And LeBron will do that too. Still where like, you know, he hits a three in the left corner, then he turns to the bench kind of thing, but he's not jumping 48 inches in the air anymore. Yeah. And Goodfellas, like every scene has a camera trick that you're just like, Holy shit. I've never seen that before. I think that was kind of like a, for him, a point in his career where he was like, I got to like 
prove that I'm the guy, you know, in like 1990 where the 80s were kind of weird for him. And like he was just, you know, going all out with everything he's got. Almost like Miami like, LeBron. That's like, <laughs> yeah, that's that's Miami LeBron. That's Miami LeBron. Um, and I feel like the 80s for Marty was kind of like the last run of LeBron's first stint on the Cavs where it just yep. was kind of like it wasn't working anymore. Like he needed a, he needed a change. So, yeah, I, I think the LeBron comparison is uh, – pretty good for marty so taxi driver raging bull is like early like first couple of mvps lebron mean streets is like rookie year second mean year streets is rookie year yeah, yeah yeah and then we go into after hours and uh maybe key comedy is a little bit earlier than that but that kind of era that's last temptation of christ that's like orlando magic losing to them in the conference finals lebron when he's supposed to go play kobe in the finals kind of thing and then goodfellas is miami <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We're kind of I guess we're kind of missing the late 70s though where he does like New 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 York, New York, The Last yeah. Waltz. Like he's a little bit more off the map there. But that's also the fun thing about his career and his movies is he has such a wild personal life. Like if you look up his history with relationships or what type of guy he was in like the 70s and 80s, like he would get a chaotic uh personal I mean, life. And so a like a picture of him right here on my shirt. He's just holding a gun. He's yeah. obviously clearly cooked yeah. out. That's a tortured soul right there. Him and Paul Schrader just <laughs> hanging out, just like talking about like how guilty they are with like, you know, being a Catholic and all the terrible stuff they've done. So like, yeah, I just, I love looking at his career, even looking at like his catalog now. It's just so cool to like see all the moves he's made. And like, I think even the misses are fun. Like I don't really like the aviator very much. And like, I don't think that's going to show up on any of our categories, but like that's a gigantic movie about old Hollywood that like, you know, I can watch that movie. Like that's a great movie, but for that, that's like probably like number 15, 16 on my Scorsese rankings. And it's still probably a better movie than most directors, you know, have ever done. I'm kind of partial to the Avi aviator a little bit. I don't have it on my list anywhere. So the awards that we're doing today, we're doing our three favorite leading performances for each of us, our three favorite supporting performances, our three favorite needle drops, because he's probably the one that did he popularize. You think like that real, like bringing pop music in during I mean, Tarantino did it where it was like inverted against the context of the scene, like the music felt different. But Marty kind of like, I don't know. I mean, there's so many no, memorable moments. It's definitely, it's definitely Marty. Mean Streets, sure. 1973, has got a few, you know, needle drops that just kind of blow your mind. And if you look at movies prior to that, you just don't see it. And I think the big thing with him is he was using popular music at the time. You know, like there are needle drops from movies in the 60s and 70s, but they're using older music. Like he was using in 1973 music that was popular then, which yep. is funny is think about that now in 2023, there's never any good needle drops of popular music. Like if a Drake song popped up in a, a movie, I would kind of just be like, it would, I'd be thrown off by it. You know, I wouldn't, I don't know how people reacted in 1973 to like hearing the Ronettes or the Rolling Stones in a movie but i imagine it blew their dick off yeah like like Doja I, cat showing up in elvis was really weird for me i was like what yeah the fuck it's is horrible this? but it's then horrible. there's like in barbie like the dua lipa song i fucking love that song and that's perfect in yeah. barbie but that was made for barbie versus like yeah um pta putting non-stop in the middle of a fucking yeah movie. that'd be insane right but it's not gonna work digging in the past yeah um, and it's then one of the other ones we have, we have th our three favorite lines. So that's going to be really fun. We'll cut in the dialogue for those. I had a lot of fun with that one. And then our favorite scene, which is really difficult. Um, I kind of made a last minute choice on favorite scene just because like I watched like 10 clips on YouTube and I was just like, it was the last one that I watched. I was like, that's it. That's the one I want to put. So, all right, let's just do it right now. Our three favorite leading performances. So what I tried to do here was I tried to take... If I used one actor, I didn't want to put that actor anywhere else. So if I had them in late leading performance, then I didn't want to put them in supporting performance. And then I also didn't want to use the same movie twice either. So I had to kind of do some finagling here. So my favorite performance that Martin Scorsese has ever had in a movie is Robert De Niro in Taxi Driver. And I think that's because this is the movie that I saw at the most... At the point in my life where I decided I really wanted to get into movies, I think it was me and you in college. Taxi Driver was one of the first like prestige movies I re had revisited since my childhood, and I thought of it in a different way. And I was just relentlessly impressed by it because the De Niro that I grew up with was different than the De Niro that my dad had grown up with. I grew up with like Meet the Parents De Niro, where he's just like this funny character that's just like kind of off-putting, and he's like, you know, 
brash and he's just throwing things out there. But then I got more accumulated to the Goodfellas De Niro and Godfather Part Two De Niro as my dad started to introduce those movies to me when I was like 11, 12, 13 years old. And then I found out, oh my God, this is kind of the inception of him as a real superstar. And I just think Travis Bickle is one of the best creations we've had in movies. Obviously, Paul Schrader and Scorsese's collaboration in creating him is very pivotal. And yeah, you talking to me like these things, they just live in my head rent free. And that's not my favorite movie of Scorsese's by any means. It's probably five or six for me, honestly. But the performance itself, it's just so demented and fucking weird and so unlike anything else I'd ever seen before that I had to give it the honors and put it at one. Ralph, have you ever taken a girl on a date to a porno theater? Have you used that move? Um, the closest I ever get is, you know, I, I have girls over and I introduce them to movies and we watch Boogie Nights a lot. That's a movie I introduce a lot of girls yeah. to. And so that's pretty close. It's not porno theater, but it's, you know, it's in that range. And I also haven't dated any 14 year olds like Jodie Foster or anything like that. So um, I, I think I'm in the clear. Well, no, he brings... He brings the bay. Um, what's the woman's name? Uh, She's like the Shepherd manager. Yeah. 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 Oh my god, beautiful. But I like that move. I think it's just kind of letting you know, being honest and letting her know what he's about. And I love in the movie too. He doesn't realize like what he's doing is weird. He's just kind of like, yeah. this is where I hang out. Like this is where I watch movies, get my peanut M and M's. Um, yeah, no, spoiler alert, uh, Travis Bickle was my number one as well. Um, nice. The way I was thinking about it is like. Every Scorsese movie is kind of dominated by like, this is Scorsese is like the key ingredient here. You know, like he's doing all the heavy lifting. Right. And I kind of feel like Taxi Driver might be the one movie where the performance is actually like doing a little bit more lifting than Scorsese just because Robert De Niro is unbelievable in that movie and playing just kind of like a tortured guy who is just so lost and like his background is a little murky and you can't quite figure out like what's going on with him. You just know like he's so fucked up. Um, yeah, I, I love that performance. And it, you're right that it's been like, it's so in the popular culture. Like I think I probably heard like you talking to me before I ever saw the movie, but like I knew that line. Um, but like when you just watch it as a movie and not like as like a popular, you know, pop culture thing, like it's incredible. I, I love that. I love that movie. And yeah, love De Niro and uh, as Travis Bickle. And it's just different from, you know, Jimmy Conway, Ace Rothstein, anything else that he's done with them. Um, is it King Hill and Killers? I think he does the Deer Hunter like in the same year or the year following. And it's just completely opposite performances. Um well, New York, like, New York is two years later, too. And that's completely yeah, that's weird. He's got so much range. And I, I've always like I heard on a talk show or it was a podcast where they're talking about De Niro as a guy is a super boring dude and doesn't have much of a personality. And you can kind of see that in movies where you're leaning on De Niro's charisma. It's kind of weird. And you're like, oh, like this guy isn't that charming. But as like a conduit for a great director to like, you know, do a you know a performance like he's the best like he's, he's incredible so yeah that's uh yeah i think that's a good number one so that's both of our number ones that's that that's great i didn't think that was gonna happen uh what's your number two uh henry hill and goodfellas i think yep. this gets left on and I, i've heard people with the take that like ray Liotta's not that great in that movie and i think that's unbelievable i think like so his dumb. turn and how that character develops throughout the movie um and just like the the look of him like his look he gets so manic and like sweaty and he looks like he's gonna die by the end of the movie like when he's driving around all coked out um he's so charming you know you can see like why you know his wife is drawn to him and like she doesn't leave him um i i think he's awesome in that movie and uh it sucks because ray liotta like if you look at his filmography, it's kind of weak. You know, like he yeah. doesn't have like it's not he never did another Scorsese movie. Um, and I heard in interviews he was always kind of bummed about that, that he didn't get, you know, invited back. Um, not sure what the story is there, but like looking at his letterbox right now, like I think most of the movies I like are like Killing Them Softly, Copland. Fuck, like Place Beyond the, the Pines. Observe and Report, he's great in that. <laughs> He has very brief appearances in movies that I like, like No Sudden Move, Marriage Story, where he's not like the lead. And the Goodfellas should have been the launching pad for him to become Leo, right? Like that should yeah. have been 
what Leo had with Titanic, that should have set him off in a whole different trajectory than what he actually did. And yeah, it is disappointing because the fact that he wasn't, I never even thought about the fact that he wasn't in a Scorsese movie again. And it's like, he should have been in the Sopranos. He should have been in all of these kinds of things that are a part of the Italian culture. And so, I mean, he should have been in Casino just for like seven or eight minutes. Yeah. Like if he's, if he he's James Wood in James, Casino. Yeah. I love James Wood in Casino, but yeah, that could have been really, and I think so in, so he did, he was in something wild in the eighties where he was also kind of like a coked out, a little bit more of an evil performance, but I feel like he got pigeonholed kind of in that corner. He was in uh field of dreams. I know he plays a big role in that, but like, I don't really care about that movie, but yeah, I don't know. It's just, it sucks that like he, I mean, he died last year and like, I just, Love the guy, but I feel like he didn't get his due in like terms of roles. He plays good old Shoeless Joe in Field of Dreams. Shoeless Joe, <laughs> Shoeless Jackson. Joe Jackson. Man, wasn't Shoeless right. Joe betting on his own games? <laughs> no, that's Pete Rose. Pete no, Rose no, no. Rose. I think Shoeless Joe in the, the White Sox, he was throwing games. I, I don't I have think a rich history a of MLB. If you want to ask me about the NBA, I could do that, but I don't have a rich history of the MLB at my disposal. Yeah, dude, he was banned during the twenty twenty or the 1920 <laughs> season. He, he fixed the World <laughs> Series. And they, put, they depict him as Ray Liotta? That, that actually kind of works, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of like yeah, that. That's a, good, that's a good casting call. All right, my number two, I have, um, uh, I have Leonardo DiCaprio as Billy Costigan in The Departed. Now, I was between Leo as Billy here, and Jordan Belfort, but I wanted to save the wolf for somebody else, um, maybe in the support, supporting performances. So I have him as Billy yeah. Costigan here, and I think if you would have asked me this like three or four years ago, I would have said Damon was my favorite part of The Departed. But now I just keep going back to Leo just because of the fucking anxiety that he brings to that. Like he is, my favorite sequence is when he's in the therapist's room and he's talking about how his hand doesn't shake. I try that exercise all the time, and my hand always inevitably starts jiggling a little bit. The fact that he can do that with all of these cameras pointed at him and you know 100 people on the cast and crew behind him watching him, watching his every move, I just think it's the most impressive fucking thing. And the Boston accent and the Red Sox hat and everything about him, the way that he plays the scenes, and the way that he's pretty generous in the scenes too, like with Martin Sheen and Mark Wahlberg, like... He's at a point in his career where he's, you know, coming off of Titanic and The Aviator and he's getting all these nominations and he's very he's in high esteem and he could be a selfish actor. But instead, he's very selfless and he's giving these other guys who are stars like Jack the room to be these larger than life characters. Like He has so many scenes with Nicholson in this movie where Nicholson's just eating up the fucking screen like you yeah, can't take your eyes off him. And Leo's just kind of, yeah, he's like, you know, playing point guard in lack of a better term. Like he's kind of the conduit for Scorsese in a way where it's just, hey, I'm going to be here. I'm going to look good. I'm going to do me. I'm not going to do too much, but it's going to be the perfect notes every single time. And um, yeah, I fucking love him in this movie. And I think that, yeah, three or four years ago, I would have been like, I like Damon more. I like Wahlberg more. I might even like Jack more, despite him being insane. I like Ray Winstone more. Uh, but yeah, I just went, yeah. I went with Leo here because I love Billy Costigan. I think Leo's one of the most... Yeah, Billy Costigan's one of the most sympathetic Scorsese protagonists because he just feels so shitty for the guy. He kind of gets pushed into this role by Sheen and Wahlberg. And he's like, if you look at those er those early scenes in Departed, like, he looks like a boy. Like, he looks so young. And yes. I think this role, coming off, like, I guess Titanic was 99, Aviator was early 2000s. Like, this was kind of transitioned from, like, a boy to more of a man role where he's got a little yep. scruff, kind of, like, buzz cut. And, yeah, he's fantastic. I got Damon is in my audible, uh, my honorable mentions as uh, Colin Sullivan, maybe one of the biggest cocksuckers out of any Scorsese movie. Just I, I never like I didn't realize it the first time I watched it. The more I watch it, everything he says is just he's such a dickhead. And I, I love to hate that character so much. So, yeah, Damon in Leo is just an awesome duo in uh, The Departed. Um, I mean, I want to hear your takes on. Them. Yeah, I want to hear your takes on Gang of New York. DDL, I can, I agree. He's great at performance. Uh, I think that's my least favorite Scorsese movie. So I want to, I want to hear your take on Daniel Day Lewis in it. So the reason I put him here at number three is because I don't like that movie either, except for the scenes that he's in. When he's in the movie, I am like, it's like, oh my god, we're back. It's like an actual Scorsese movie again, and it's Daniel Day Lewis, and it's, I think, it's right next to. Daniel Plainview and Reynolds Woodcock for like, and I like those movies way more. Like There'll Be Blood and Phantom Thread. Those are two of my 10 favorite movies of all time. But the scenes in this with him 
any of the scenes that you pick out with Bill the Butcher, they can rival anything else for me. Because I I can't stand Cameron Diaz. I don't give a fuck about John C. Riley in that movie. I don't really like Leo in that movie either. I don't like Leo in that movie at all. They, they don't work for me. But for some reason, Daniel Day-Lewis is the only one that can make magic out of this hectic set. And I give him all the props in the world because... This was, a, again, this is the first time I'd ever, like, really seen him. Like, my dad showed me this movie when I was 11 or 12. And I was like, this is fucking boring. But that guy's got something. And then I returned to it 10, 11 years later. And I'm like, holy shit. He's perfect. Like, I mean, he does no wrong. And I just had to put him somewhere because he's fucking Daniel Day-Lewis. And, yeah, for some reason, Bill the Butcher just sticks with me more than anybody else that kind of came to mind. Okay, let me let's play a game. If you could recast one role in a Martin Scorsese movie with Daniel Day Lewis, doesn't matter the time, you know, just you can you push him or uh, drop him into any movie. What role are you dropping him into? Okay, so if I subtract somebody from the movie, yeah. Okay, um, that's just, fucking tough because I a couple came to mind really quick. One would be I liked I I, I still want De Niro's Travis Bickle. Right, because we have him at number one. Yeah. But I'd like to see DDL take that on, just as like an off Broadway kind of thing. The the one that really came to mind was Shutter Island. I'd like to see DDL play um Mark Ruffalo's character, have him and Leo going back and forth the entire movie. Just kind of that relationship between the two would be cool. And if I could do one more like give me Max Katie. Give me Cape Fear. Throw him in there. Yeah, just have him go. go fucking have him go fucking manic. Because we watched Cape Fear together and you were really high on it. I was like, eh. But then I rewatched it and I was like, okay, I kind of see where Hados is coming from a little bit more because De Niro's just psychotic in that. And I know you love the jail cell pull-ups. Like, that's, that was your back while on your phone. That's your shit right there. That inspired you to get Yeah, jail dude. Anymore. Yeah, I used to have my, back, my background on my phone was Max Katie in the lineup just shredded to the gills and tatted up. And I had it for like a year and a half. And I was like, ooh, like... In the movie, he's like a rapist and murderer, and like it was kind of. I had to switch it to something a little bit more uh, appropriate because I feel like I was giving off the wrong vibes. But he is in phenomenal shape for that movie. Um, okay, let me go to my number three, and I'll I'll say my DDL answer. Um, so my number three role is De Niro playing Jake LaMotta in Raging Bull. I feel like Raging Bull is tough to t- talk about because it's such a fucking bummer of a movie, and it's just like you just you can't stand the guy. Um, I think De Niro is phenomenal in that and really just like kind of giving himself over to the story and not there's really no window to like where you where he's ever a good guy. But still, by the end, you feel bad for him because he's just he's not a smart dude who is kind of like pushed into fixing fights and it ruins his life. And he's got all this inner turmoil that causes him to, you know, destroy every race relationship in his life. That's the role I would like to see Daniel Day-Lewis play. Um, I think he played a boxer earlier in his career. I can't remember the movie. Yep. Um, but I think he could do that really well where, in the, you know, in There Will Be Blood, like, Daniel Plainville is pretty much a piece of shit all the way through. I yep. think Raging Bull could be kind of a similar similar turn. But, yeah, love that movie. It's just uh, it's not the funnest watch. The re- I tried to rewatch it the other night before I went to bed since we were preparing for this pod. I couldn't do it. I, I literally couldn't do it. I was laying in bed. I was like, that's how I turn back to the Irishman. Um, yeah. Because that's just a movie I can doze off to. Raging Bull is loud. It's brashful. So if you're going to really watch it, like you got to prepare yourself for like a three-hour mental come down because it is yeah. so fucking dark. And I also love the inversion of the expectation for Pesci to be the one that's over the top and ki- you know killing people left and right and ruining every relationship. And in here, he's... You know, he's not the best guy. He's still kind of supportive of his brother throughout all of this. But De Niro is really the one that's in that quote unquote Pesci role. Um, okay, so yeah. what was, is that your number two? What's your number three? That was my number three. That was your number three. Jake LaMotta. So, so I had Travis Bickle one, Henry Hill two, Jake LaMotta yeah. three. Okay. Um, let me Bickle just do one, one honorable mention here. Sure. One hour mention, uh, Rupert Pumpkin in The King of Comedy. I've only seen that movie once, and I, I left watching it, and I was like, that was good. And the more I think about it, I kind of love it. And I think my favorite part of that movie is, so for the majority of the time, he, you think this, I mean, he is a crazy person. You know, he's delusional, and, you know, it, I think the Joker kind of made me think it was going to have a similar ending where he just goes off, he goes, you know, on the talk show, loses his mind, and just, like, you know, goes crazy. I like that in the King of Comedy, he goes and does his set on the show, and it's not that bad. Like, it's not. I, I, it's I, pretty good. It's yeah, it's not that bad. It's better than most of the like standups that pop up in my Instagram reels. Like, it's funny. And him going to the bar afterwards, 
and just pointing out the TV and being kind of proud of himself and then letting himself go to jail and then having I think he does like a book tour after that and that's how the movie ends I love that like I think that's it's weirdly kind of an optimistic movie um I I, I think De Niro's <laughs> phenomenal in that though I've only seen it once as well it would be worth revisiting because it's just another one where he's so different. He's so weird. He's kind of mm. Travis Bickle, but he's also kind of like um, over-enthusiastic autistic guy where he just yeah. can't get a read on anything. And he's like so ambitious and it's completely blinding him to all of like the normal social constructs of conversation and how to like yeah. operate. Like it's how Travis is when he goes into the campaign office and he has his eyes set on the woman. It's like he's like, I want you to be mine. And now I'm going to go take you off for apple pie and cheese, which is a weird combo. Um, all right, supporting yeah. performances. So our three favorite supporting performances. I had more fun with this one, honestly, just because, like, he goes, you know, he uses the same people all the time in all these movies. It's Pesci. It's De Niro. It's Leo. You know, that's kind of his core. He's used Pacino a couple of times. But Jonah Hill and Wolf of Wall Street as Donnie Azoff is, you know, I can just see it in my head right now. I can see the stupid fake teeth. I can hear the voice, the terrible accent, the, if you show me a check right now for, what is it, $70,000, I'll call my boss and quit mm -hmm. my job right now and do whatever it takes to work for you. And then I had to sprinkle in McConaughey too because that was kind of my biggest regret when I was going back and revisiting the filmography was I wish there was more McConaughey with Scorsese. He's so fucking good in that scene that like, yeah. I, I mean, the Daniel Day-Lewis game we just played, if I could put McConaughey in The Departed, for just let's say he's let's say he's um Anthony Anderson's character at the very beginning of the movie when they're in police academy together. What if it's just McConaughey instead? Yep. Right? Like that would work so well. I kinda love so, Anthony Anderson in that bro. It's Anthony I do too. so random in that movie. Like I I kinda fucking love that. I do too, but I, it's just or me I mean Baldwin's perfect. Alright, let's make him Kevin Corrigan then. The cousin with like just got out of prison. No, 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 no. You can't take <laughs> out Kevin Corrigan. Kevin Corrigan, dude, the one of my favorite parts of the departed is when Kevin Corrigan and Leo are just rolling around town doing petty crimes. Yeah. Oh, I, I love that scene. No, yeah. I don't know if McConaughey has a place in that because he doesn't fit in as a Boston guy. I'm not sure that's the right place to slot him in. Sure. Um, but what he could be, he could have been, you know, in Casino, the guy, the Texan who wears the hat and won't keep his feet off the table. That's McConaughey. You know what? Let me that's just say one more. Let me do one more sacrilegious thing for you really quick. Let me get McConaughey right off of this movie. Actually, give me younger McConaughey. And um, it's, he's either, he's filling one of the roles in The Color of Money. He's either going to be Cruz or Newman. <laughs> I want him in there. I want him playing pool. I think he'd be good in that. Um, but yeah, Jonah Hill yeah. and Wolf. I mean, it's just so fucking fun. Is he on your list? Yeah, Donnie Azoff's number two. We okay. got to get Jonah Hill back on track. We yeah. really got to like, as a, the movie-loving community, like... I don't know what happened. I think he's a little up his own ass and he really thinks of himself as an artist when yep. actually he's like the funniest comedic actor of the century. Um, I love, I love, love, love that his, you know, I think he did that for like scale. Is that what it's called? Where like minimum wage, I think he only made like $30,000 off it. Yep. Um, got a best supporting actor nomination and yeah, he's fantastic. The way he bounces off Leo in that movie is just, is just awesome. Um, the, the scene with them smoking crack and the way his eyes bulge out and he's just he's out of his mind in that movie. He's he's fantastic. Um, I mean, even let me go to my Steve number Madden one though. idea. Yeah, go ahead. Steve Madden. Steve Madden. Uh, my number one is also De Niro, uh, Jimmy Conway, and Goodfellas. Um, yep. I feel like the first few times I watched Goodfellas. Uh, Tommy is the one that really pops. You know, he jumps yep. off the screen just because he's such a fireball. But the more I watch it, the more I just love, like, kind of the quiet uh, menace of Jimmy Conway in that movie. Like, I always think of the scene with Sunshine of Your Love playing in the bar and he's smoking the cig and he's looking at the guy who sells the toupees and you're just like, he's dead. Like, Jimmy Conway's going to get that guy. And uh, he he's fantastic in Goodfellas. Um, I don't know what more I can say about De Niro. I just uh, love the guy. He, that would have been my number one, too, if I didn't try to make this rule up where I didn't want to have, you know, De Niro. I mean, De Niro probably would have taken up like five of these six spots. Like he also would have been in The Irishman, Frank Sheeran. Um, I could have done anything with him, really. But yeah, Jimmy Conway, the absolute goat. Also, just like you're not supposed to root for him. Every time I watch that movie, I find myself like leaning towards his side until he shows mm -hmm. Karen where the Dior coats are. Once he shows Karen, hey, hey, go back there. I got some Dior coats yeah. for you back there. 
that's when I'm like, oh, this fucker, dude. Like, not her. Dude, I want to talk about one flower, Killers of the Flower Moon spoiler. The scene in Killer, the spoiler for those listening, Killers of the Flower Moon, where he starts whacking the guys that were doing jobs for him. Yep. I was like, this is the same scene in Goodfellas with Layla yep. playing, where he's whacking the dudes. Like, I was, I was stunned, like how similar those scenes were, and I, I love that callback in uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. Okay, what's your? You got Pesci as number two. I have Pesci as Russ Buffalino in The Irishman. Now, this is because I mean, I could have done him in Goodfellas. But this is because it's so understated, and every time I watch The Irishman, which has been a lot over the last two years, I keep returning to it time and time again. He's just so... He's practically coming out of retirement to do this, which I think is really impressive. But there's one sequence where they're in the car towards the beginning of the movie, and he keeps talking about his cataracts and how he won't let his wife smoke in the back of the car. (laughs) I think it's the funniest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. And it's just... It's a perfect quote. I, I wrote it down. Um, it's in my notes. I didn't put it in the doc here, but De Niro is talking about Russell not smoking anymore. And he's like, because he was in the war and he told God, if I ever make it out of this fucking thing alive, I'll never smoke again thing. And that's just kind yeah. of the way he carries himself throughout the whole movie. He's so committed. I I really do love Russ in the movie. Like, I don't love Tommy at all. Tommy's a fucking prick. He's so yeah. intolerable. I mean, he's amazing. That's a terrific performance. But. I like gravitate towards Russ, but despite him being that evil, despite him being like Jimmy, where he's getting people whacked, you know, he might be responsible for the assassination of JFK. He like says it is what it is 10 or 15 different times in the movie. And it's just perfect. So I know it's like, you know, the contrarian pick here, but I really do love that fucking movie. And I think all of them are amazing in it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm I'm like, I'm a little cold, colder on the Irishman than most, but I think the most, emotionally affecting scene in that movie is Russ in the prison at the end of the movie where he's talking about the good juice and he's dipping the yep. bread and they're trying to like, you know, relive kind of too. their life, you know, or their previous life outside of jail. And yeah, I, uh, it's interesting that on neither of our lists, we have uh, Pesci and Goodfellas and Casino. And I kind of had a tough time with it because they're kind of the same performance in similar characters where I couldn't choose one. I love them both, but yeah, I, I don't know. I just... There's so many uh, good supporting roles uh, throughout his movies. My my third one, I cheated a little. I got Baldwin and Wahlberg playing Ellerby and Dignan. Yep. Um, also, like just the funniest duo in any Scorsese movie. Uh, I got two quotes here. The Wahlberg of maybe, maybe not, maybe go fuck yourself yep. is so good. If you can remember to say it in a conversation, like it feels so good to you know, just say that to somebody. Um, and Baldwin's so funny too. The one he's got, he goes... I want to smoke. You want to smoke? You don't smoke, do you? What are you? One of those fitness freaks? Go fuck yourself. <laughs> so good. He's, he's, they're just the biggest pricks and they like add so much, uh, so much energy to that movie. Like those roles aren't, they don't really have much to do in those roles, but um, yeah, that's when Wahlberg used to like do fun stuff in movies. And now he just plays like Spencer Conf- confidential and other yeah, pieces of shit on Netflix. But that was just father. Yeah, no, it was a father stew. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, that I remember they were sidetracked. I went to a funeral a few years ago, and there were Father Stu posters up in the Catholic Church, and like I think they got hooked into like the Vatican for the marketing on that, and like every Catholic church has like Father Stu promotional materials. That's really. I don't know if that movie weird. hit or not. I never saw it, but I, I don't know, dude. Wahlberg is off the grid. Like he's just he's on a different planet. Yeah, he is. He's just pushing, what is it, Municipal? That's his brand. Like, he's constantly wearing that head to toe, and he looks like a ridiculous, like, 14-year-old in Under Armour for the first time. It's really weird. I had both of them, too, at my number three, but I knew that you were going to put them. So I put Lily Gladstone as Molly Burkhart in Colors of the Flower Moon. We'll talk about her later with Merfeld and Petey. But just, I don't know, the fact that she was able to, I mean, every scene that she has, for the most part, is with Leo or with De Niro. And I'd never seen her before in anything. So the fact that she's sticking on screen with those two at, I mean, they're, I don't think either of them are at the peaks of their career necessarily, but I mean, they're still, you know, 10 of the most gifted actors in the world, like working today, like 20 years ago, they were the two most gifted, but now I still think they're in that top 10 and she's just, she's a revelation. I cannot wait to see what she does next. I hope she takes the Leo route and just works with just the most talented fucking directors because I'd love to see her in her PTA. I'd love to see her work with Noah Baumbach or Greta or anybody in that kind of like range. Um, the Safties could use her. Like she's, 
She's really, really talented. I loved her in this. Um, I do want to give a shout out to there was one person. Oh, um, my guy, Frankie Carbone. Just one of my he's like the, the the least supporting character of all time because he has like seven speaking lines and all of Goodfellas. But, you know, I follow Frank Severo on Instagram and he's pretty much just Frankie Carbone in real life. So I love Frankie Carbone. All right, needle drop time. Well, time for some music. Yeah. I went basic here, I'm not gonna lie. Um I, the one that I have, I don't even associate it with The Departed as much as I do the 2008 Boston Celtics. This is the song that KG and Paul Pierce would run out to. So I'm shipping up to Boston by the drop I'm a sailor, hey, and I lost my leg. They don't drop it in The Departed until they drop the title card, which is at the 17-minute oh, yeah. mark of the movie, which is fucking insane. Like, it's Nicholson for, like, the first 17 minutes walking you through, like, what this world is like, giving you an introduction. And then it's just, I'm shipping up to Boston. And that's when the tone is really set. Like you said, that frantic pace, that high energy that Wahlberg and Baldwin and Sheen, everybody's bringing to that movie. Uh, it's just a kick-ass fucking song. And, yeah, I have a deep association with Ray Allen and Ray John Rondo and Kendrick Perkins with it, too. So <laughs> a little biased there. Dude, I, you're missing my favorite part of that sequence is Leo in the, the prison cell doing dips while it's blasting. Yep. He's got, like, he's tatted up, and it shows him in, like, the prison line. And it's, like, he's shredded in a Leo way, you know, where he was probably, like, 150 pounds. Like, he's not, like, big, yep. but, like, you're, like, damn, like, Leo's kind of cut. And, yeah, I, I that's my number two. Um I love that song. I think it's so cool that like Scorsese picked that. Like the Dropkick Murphys is. I don't. I don't think they were like a big band in two thousand four. No. But also, I think we were six or seven years old. So yeah, that's a that's a great scene. Um, my okay, that's my number two. Um, what's your number two? My number two is in the still of the night. It's the the very beginning of the Irishman. We have a tracking shot going through the nursing home, and it leads to Robert De Niro um, introducing you to the movie essentially. And I just love the song. Like, it's a song that I have yeah. on, like, a bunch of different Spotify playlists. I listen to it while I'm cooking a lot, and it's just a beautiful song. I can't remember who it's by off the top of my head. Something like the Temptations. Yeah, isn't that... Doesn't the movie close with that song, too? I feel like it plays yep. a few times throughout. He's, yep. like, not afraid to use the same song across movies or, like, multiple times in a movie, which I think is I think is fun. Um, and he's, like, one of the few directors that has the juice to do that. A hundred percent. I mean, he uses what? Give me shelter in four different movies. Uh, oh yeah. Stole the night is by the Five Satins. It's on Spotify. Five Satins. Yeah, banger of a song. Uh, what's your number two? Yeah. That was I've shipped up to Boston. Yeah, let me do my let me do my three. So sure. this one, it's in Casino. Uh, I can't get no satisfaction by Devo. So it's uh, their cover of the Rolling Stone song, and this plays a few times. So the first time is when Ace realizes something is wrong at home, and he's racing home because he knows Ginger did something, and he gets home, and his daughter's tied up in bed, and it's just so frantic. And then it plays again when uh, Tommy or not Tommy, what's uh, Joe Pesci's character's name in Casino? Uh, his crew is blasting that police officer's house and it's just uh, they're playing it from the car stereo yep. um, that song's awesome I, I, it really adds to like those scenes um, Nikki Santoro is Pesci's character so Nikki Santoro yep. yep Nikki just a fucking um, asshole name Jesus Christ Nikki Santoro like what a prick. yeah Tommy DeVito yeah. and Nikki Santoro No, that's a great song. Can't get no satisfaction by Devo. Um, I'll just do my number one. Then we're kind of bouncing around. Um, I think this was like the first needle drop of his career. Uh, Be My Baby by the Ronettes. Uh, the opening to Mean Streets. So it opens up with Harvey Keitel laying in bed. And there's a Scorsese voiceover. And he says, you don't make up for your sins in church. You do it in the streets. You do it at home. The rest is bullshit and you know it. Yep. In Kaitel wakes up in bed, like shoots out of bed and just like goes and looks in the mirror and is obviously having like a crisis of faith or whatever, goes to sleep, 
And then the, the song just kicks in and it's all stock footage of like Kaitel and De Niro, like kind of having fun, like, you know, with their families, just hanging out. Like, it looks like a student film on it, honestly. And it's, it's so cool. Like it really sets the tone. The, mean Streets is a little different than other Scorsese crime movies where it feels like in Mean Streets, the guys are, you know, the lower rung of the, the mafia or whatever. And they're, they're actually idiots. kind of friends with each they're idiots, yeah. but they're kind of friends with each other and they have relationships and like they actually like each other. And so that really sets the tone there so that as the movie kind of, uh, you know, spirals towards the end, you feel bad. You know, you just feel bad for the characters because they've got those relationships. But it's, that song, Be My Baby, is just unbelievable. Like one of the best pop songs of the seven. I don't know if it was 60s or 70s. Um, but yeah, that's just such a cool way to kick off the movie. I think another thing about it is they're also very young. Like they don't really mm-hmm. have like a leadership above them that they can rely on. Like they don't have a poly that they can turn to if they have questions. Their leadership doesn't take them seriously. They keep trying to have yeah. conversations and they're just like, no, like fuck off. Like, you know, you guys are like the henchmen almost for this organization. Exactly. Yep. Yep. That's it's kind of a peek into the Frankie Carbonas of the world when they're a little bit younger. Um, all right, that's perfect. So my number three was we talked about it a little bit earlier. It's yeah, Jimmy at the bar plot and i think it's morty is that the guy who sells wigs and names uh sunshine yeah. of your love and he's just smoking that ciggy and that's the coolest anybody's ever looked at a movie i know it's like the reincarnation of the devil and stuff but nobody's ever looked that cool before another funny thing about that movie is henry hill's like introducing you to jimmy conway he's like he couldn't have been older than 28 or 29 and De Niro's like 45 it's yeah. like <laughs> yeah it's like that's what 29 year olds looked like back then like holy shit like jesus dude they might have all the all the lead pipes in the water and smoking cigs like i think people just aged differently back then <laughs> Yeah, I feel like every guy has like at some point like smoking a stick in their life has tried to look like uh, Jimmy Conway while they do it, you know, where he's just like gripping it and just <laughs> sucking the life out of it. Like, I, I don't think anybody else has been able to pull it off, but I've tried. Every time I'm drunk, I try to look cool smoking a cig. It's just, yeah. like, I look like a crackhead though. I'm like pulling it yeah, it looks... too hard. I'm shaking. Yeah. I don't have a suit on. I'm just like in a hoodie. It's like, oh, geez, yeah. this guy looks homeless. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to favorite lines. So, did you already cheat on one of your favorite lines? You got the no. ones out. Okay, you saved some other ones. All right, cool. Yep. So, so I've got another Dignam one, and Wahlberg in The Departed. It's the very first time that we meet him. Okay, and you know, there's something along the lines of Martin Sheen asking Leo, like, "Do you know what we do here?" He's like, "I have an idea of what we do here." And Dignam goes, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Let's say you have no idea. Leave it at that, okay? No idea, zip, none. If you had an idea about what we do, we would not be good at what we do, would we? We would be cunts. Are you calling us cunts?" <laughs> and that's just kind of the thesis statement of his character. Do you know what we do here, my section? Sir, yes, sir. I have an idea. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Let's say you have no idea. Leave it at that, okay? No idea. Zip, none. You have an idea about what we do. We would not be good at what we do, would we? We would be cunts. You calling us cunts? Staff Sergeant Dignam has a style of his own. I'm afraid we all have to get used to it. It's like, you know, he turns everything into a backhanded, like, what, you're trying to fuck with me kind of thing? He's just, like, so macho and eager to prove himself. And I just love that as, like, the introduction to a character. The introduction to most characters is very simple. This is very complicated and complex. And he's perfect in this fucking movie. God, I wish we could get Wahlberg back, too. Him and Jonah Hill, they need to get back on track. I know. I know. Um, My third one is, so it's from Mean Streets. I don't remember the exact context, but it's when they're down in the pool hall and they're arguing with some other crew about Owen Money. And I I like this one because I learned a new term, like new lingo. And it's De Niro going, we're not paying because this guy's a mook and we don't pay mooks. And the guy just loses his mind. Like, Mook might be like, it, it's, it must be some slur for Italians. And the guy yep. just loses it. And I'm like, okay, that's great. That's a great term. Hey, 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 what's the matter with this kid, huh? Hey, there ain't nothing wrong with me, my friend. I'm feeling fine. Keep your mouth shut. Hey, you told me that in front of this asshole. All right, all right. We're not going to pay. We're not paying. No, but why? We just said we were going to have a drink. We're not paying because this guy, this guy is a fucking Mook. 
But I didn't say nothing. And we don't pay mooks. These um, fucking Italians and their slang, dude. They just slip it in. Like, Bordy's on the pod the other day, on the NFL pod, and he just said Fanuk. And I, it just yeah. completely went by me. I was like, fuck, dude. I have to cut that out? Like, <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> I love his yeah. Italian slang. Um, my number two. So this is De Niro. When he, uh, it's Travis Bickle. When he's starting to, like, really focus on himself. And he goes... June 29th, I gotta get in shape. Too much sitting has ruined my body. Too much abuse has gone on for too long. From now on, there'll be 50 push-ups each morning, 50 pull-ups. There'll be no more pills, no more bad food, no more destroying of my body. From now on, it'll be total organization. Every muscle must be tight. Oh I said that to God. myself. Every time before I go to the gym, I go, every muscle must be tight. I love, I love the scenes of De Niro working out in his apartment. Scorsese really shoots guys like getting like shredded so well. And he's like holding his arm over the stove just to like prove he can take it. So yeah, if Scorsese could shoot one thing for you in your life, like if you had the opportunity to hire Scorsese as director of a day, you're going to be at the gym for like six hours. Oh, yeah, and then, absolutely. And then a wedding right after that. Then you're just like, we're getting married. After this. <laughs> yeah. Gonna shoot yeah. No, that'd be sick. <laughs> I'm going to be toned after my wedding. Uh, so my number two is... Um, it's a it's a two parter. They both take place in Goodfellas at Tommy's mom's house after they've killed a uh, Billy Bats and he's in the back of the car and they're lying to her about hitting a deer and he's like they hit the paw they hit the paw and all De Niro says is the hoof and it's just <laughs> the hoof he's eating spaghetti it, he goes the it's hoof so fucking funny and then it's right after that where uh, Martin Scorsese's mom who made a bunch of cameos in his movies says to her son who's Joe Pesci. Uh, Tommy DeVito she says why don't you get yourself a nice girl and he says I get a nice one almost every night ma and it's just like that's perfect like my mom and I have this conversation all the time she's like why don't you settle down with a nice girl I'm like I get a nice one almost every night ma and then he goes on he's like I want to stay with you you know I kiss her goodbye in the morning I come stay with you I want to love you I just love that little Mm -hmm. yeah Barnes Scorsese's mom is always so good in like that and casino she just pops up she's fantastic we didn't talk about any of his like Italian American or anything like that. Like he has like you know some more personal documentaries. What's the one where with his friend that's kind of sad? Oh yeah, American Boy or something. Boy? Yeah, and he's just a fucking. He's like I haven't seen that one from Midnight Cowboy. It's it's interesting. He's like he reminds me a lot of um the friend in Uncut Gems that had just gotten out of prison and you know yeah was on acid and things like that. He's kind of like that kind of guy. He's like you know just New York dirt, um, but a good personification of him. Um, all right. What is your? You've only done one, right? This is my. I've done two. This is my. This is my number one. And this is something I say to you every time I see you. Viv, never rat on your friends and always keep your mouth shut. <laughs> That's pretty good. Right after That's Henry, the golden yeah. rule. That is the golden rule. You never know, rat on your friends and always keep your mouth shut. There's no chance in hell any of the Goodfellas would have ever had a podcast, right? If anybody did, Tommy, you think? You think he might have had one? Oh, Rupert Pumpkin. Oh, you're talking just good fellas? Yeah. Rupert Pumpkin oh, definitely shit. had a pod. He had a podcast. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe like Karen. Karen had like a health and, I don't know, like a, a life podcast with just her and her gals. I could see Frankie Carbone starting one and none, none of them wanting to be guests. He's like kind of pushing them. He's like, come on, come on my podcast. Let's have a conversation about, you know, the good old days. And they're just like, dude, Frankie, shut the fuck up. Like, Get back in your place. All right. My number one is we talked about a little bit earlier, and this kind of goes into my favorite scene, too. This is my favorite scene in a Scorsese movie. It was hard for me to pick, um, but it's the whole exchange between Matthew McConaughey teaching Leonardo DiCaprio what Wall Street is and how bullshit it is, how it's a fugazi, it's a fugazi, all this kind of stuff. And it's from the moment that he says Tootski, where he after he takes a line of coke. How the fuck else would you do this job? Cocaine and hookers, my friend. To fuck the clients, to the way he says they're fucking addicted, um, to taking home cold hard cash via commission, motherfucker. And then he like, <laughs> then he caws right after that. He goes, and it's just like the yeah. most ridiculous <laughs> thing I've ever motherfucker. seen. <laughs> it is priceless. Like I've never seen somebody so in their bag like he's just locked in he's in the zone during this it's like you know the rewatchables talks about the Dion waiters moment of like you know catching fire this isn't Dion waiters at all this is like clay thompson scoring 37 points or what is it, 61 points and three quarters taking seven dribbles that's mcconaughey in this scene he's just perfect you know bring me one vodka martini 
And after seven and a half minutes, bring me another one. And then bring me one every five minutes until one of us passes the fuck out. He's just locked in. And it's yeah. the thing I like the most about it going into the favorite scene part is that at the very beginning of it, it's like everything is very honest. And he's telling them this is how the world works. But at the same time, it's still a sale. He's selling this guy to come and work for him and become him. And he knows the pain that he probably deals with. And then Jordan sees all of that and wants it so bad. And when we meet Jordan originally in the movie, he's pretty innocent for the most part. You know, he's married, especially in this scene. He's like, I don't even want to have a martini right now. I can't, you know, drink during lunch. I have to go back to my job. Um, He's never done coke before in his life. And he's just kind of seeing McConaughey as the devil here and going fucking nuts. And for some reason, that's intoxicating to him because, you know, he makes all this money and it's priceless. Like I, I really love this scene, and that was the scene where I watched ten scenes before we got on earlier, and this was the last one that I watched. I was like, "That's the one. It, it, this is the one." Yeah. No, it seems incredible. It really sets the tone for the movie too, and like why like Belford gets kind of sucked into that lifestyle. It's perfect. Like in Marty's it's the first time he'd really ever shot on digital, which is interesting, and it looks so good. Like it's so fucking sexy. And McConaughey looks gorgeous. I love the hair. I love the outfit. The nice tan. The background of New York. I think that's like Dallas Buyers Club McConaughey where he's just like so skinny. Yeah. Like he's like 120 pounds. I think it was around the same time. Yeah. He's definitely light yeah. in it. Um, so I, I yeah. skipped into favorite scene. What's your third favorite or your first favorite line? Did you do that one yet? Oh, yeah, you did. You did. Yeah, that was the never out on your friends. Yeah, yeah. So we're on to scenes. Perfect. Okay. So go ahead. Give me your favorite scene. All right. Start number three. All right, number three is the prison scene from Goodfellas where they're all, Henry gets booked, he's got to do like three and a half years and it's all the guys in a nice prison and they have their own little room where they're just chefing up and making, you know, some Italian dinner and they're slicing the garlic with the razor blades so thinly and Henry walks in, he's just got a bag of alcohol and all the ingredients and Polly's just hanging out. Oh, like it makes prison look so fun. Like I, So fun? It, you it get so incredible. hungry like, watching just, like, it? I've never watched oh a prison scene and I'm like, I need to eat right now. That's incredible. It's like, it's just another level. I, uh, it almost re- like, I feel like that's what like the bear is trying to copy with like some of their cookies, cooking scenes where it's just like, that's the pinnacle of making food look good for me. Is that prison scene? Okay. Number two is mean streets. De Niro's entrance to the bar to jump in Jack flash. This could go on needle drops, but I wanted to put it here. Cause it is like, He's, he's walking and he's got women on both arms. He's wearing like kind of a stupid little hat, but uh-huh. he still looks like the coolest guy in the world. And it like totally sets the tone that like this guy is very charming, but he's also like, he, he's kind of uh he's a little out of control, you know? And like, he, I, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, I, he's lanky I, I just love and gangly. It. I, like he's like, yeah, his body is so interesting in it. Cause he's so young and like, he's so um, young. That is prime. Okay. All right. My number two is going to be cranberry juice. And it's just Ray Winstone and Leo. Or no, sorry. Ray Winstone is kind of the interferer or the one who's supervising the situation. And Leo orders a cranberry juice at the bar. And a gentleman says to him, cranberry juice, that's a natural diuretic. Women drink that when they get their periods. What are you on? Your period? <laughs> and he just fucking breaks the glass right over the top of his head. And yeah. God, I'm not a violent person, Hato. You know this. Like, if I have to get down to it, I guess I will. Like, if it's for one of my boys, got to back somebody up, sure. But just once in my life, I wish I had the fucking balls to just break a highball on somebody's head. That would be so cool. And I don't know if glass breaks that way. I think it's just something that happens in movies for the most part. But God damn it, that is one fucking dynamite scene. So good. And what does Frenchie say to him afterwards? He's like, I knew your dad. Like, and they're like, yeah. And he's like, that's a guy you don't hit unless I tell you you can hit him. And then yep, the guy says, says something else, and Winstone or Frenchie just beats his ass. It's so good. There are guys you can hit, and there are guys you can't hit. Now, that guy is not necessarily a guy that you can't hit, but he's close. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's, he's close. <laughs> so good. All right, All right my number one scene, I was going to feel bad if I left this off, uh, is the Copacabana scene from Goodfellas. Like, probably yep. his most famous scene. It's the tracking shot through the restaurant. Um, I don't know what I could say other than I, there's a funny story I read that, so that shot took multiple days to coordinate and get, you know, get it done. And 
they kept having problems where they would get through the shot where they walk into the restaurant, they're walking through the back, they sit down, you know, the camera's just following them all the way through. And then it turns to the comedian and he tells his joke. And I guess the comedian kept fucking up the line at the oh end and they'd God. have to redo the shot because he was getting so nervous, you know, because it, it really all hinges on him to land that line and he kept messing it up. So that just cracks me up to think about. I don't, I don't even know who it is, but it's uh, yeah, that, that scene Youngman, is a Young I think. Who's like Penny Young one man. of those like Don Rickles styles guys where it's just like one liner after one liner after one liner. Oh, my wife. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was kind of a Borat voice, actually. I don't know what I was doing there, but yeah. yeah but like, uh, I think Borat actually hinges on those guys, like that kind of style of comedy, actually. Um, <laughs> that's great. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll go with you there, too. I mean, that has to be the number one. And I think that's one that has grown in people's estimation over time. Like I'm sure when my dad saw it in the theater, he was like, God damn, that's a kick-ass shot. That's a sweet scene. And it's really the, like there's no better way to introduce somebody's level of power than going through the back doors, going through the kitchen. I like to go this way a little bit better. So we're going to go this way. And then people pulling out the tables for them and the chairs. So yeah, the choreography of it is just insane. You said it took them a couple of days to shoot that. I didn't know that. That's a great fact. Yeah. No, it's crazy. I kind of ruined other tracking scenes for me in movies. Now when like people do it, I can almost feel the effort it took and it kind of takes me out of the movie and almost I think they're doing it just to like, you know, impress the viewer where like, I just think it fits into Goodfellas really nicely to establish like Karen's kind of entering this world with this guy. She doesn't totally understand what he does, but she knows he's lying and that he's in the mafia, but she's just kind of been sucked into the whole lifestyle. So yeah, that's, that's my number one scene. All right, before we get out of here, um, I know you didn't want to do this, but I'm going to make you do this. Just give me your top five Marty movies on your list right now. I know you have it on Letterboxd. Go ahead. We'll, we'll go back and forth. Do you want to go five to one or one to five? Yeah, let's go five to one. Okay. All right, my five is Casino. My five is Raging Bull. Mm. My four is Wolf of Wall Street. My four is Casino. Okay. My three is Taxi Driver. Oh, shit. I'm sorry. My five is Casino. My four is The Departed. So Raging Bull is six. Oh, okay. Okay. My bad. What was your what was Yeah. Your three? My three was Taxi Driver. Okay. Yeah, my three is The Wolf of Wall Street. My two is Raging Bull. And I'm looking at this now. Wow. And it's like, it's so good. It's just, I, I it look is. at all these other movies on the list and there's so many movies I want to watch more than that. But like, I just, the like... The first time I saw Raging Bull, it just totally blew me away. Like, I, I'll never forget that. So I'm keeping that there for now. There's one shot in Raging Bull that I keep returning to, and I keep seeing it on Twitter, too. Um, and it's when Jake is boxing the black dude, and the camera does, like, a reverse whip to the black dude, and he's standing there, and he looks like an alien. Like, he doesn't look human mm-hmm. for some reason. Like, his eyes are, like, bulging. He's so frail, but also his shoulders are, like, bowling balls, and there's sweat dripping off of him and the lighting and everything. And I can't get this image out of my mind where he just looks like a fucking alien. And I can't think of another director that's capable of doing that, especially in black and white. Like the whole movie, that's a decision to make that movie in what is it, 1980 to make that movie yeah. in black and white. Like that's a decision. So I love that. All right. My number two is The Irishman. Okay. You know where The Irishman is on my list? Like oh, 13, 14? It's, it's 13. Yeah. Yeah. Right next to Bringing know. Out the Dead, which has good scenes in it. Break, it yeah. has great scenes in it. There are some pieces of Breaking Out the Dead that I love. Um, I I think we got the same number one, right? Yeah, it's got to be good, fellas. Yep. I don't know how you could, if you're a Scorsese fan, put a movie above that. I, I just like it's such. I don't know. I don't know. I, I I get people have personal favorites, but like I just feel like that stands kind of alone. It's in, a the, in the top movie. spot. And when I look at my like my top four movies ever, it's just you know Boogie Nights, Goodfellas, Once Upon a Time, and The Godfather. Any given day, I can exchange any of them in any spot, and that works. Like any day, yeah. The Godfather could be one. Any day, Once Upon a Time could be one. Um, but yeah, then I look at five through eight, and it's just like I love those movies. They're amazing, but they don't meet the criteria of those other four for some reason. So yeah, yeah. All right, Goodfellas. Final thoughts on Marty before we get out of here. Killers of the Flower Moon. Is it his last movie? Is that a depressing ending for a last movie? Or is that kind of beautiful that would potentially... Be? He said it wasn't going to be his last, but would you be upset if it was? 
Yes, because that would probably mean that he died, and which yeah. would just be devastating. Um, I think it's it would be that. an awesome final movie. Um, I think he's signed on the next one for something called The Wager, which I, I guess the plot is it's about a, uh, it's in, set in the 17 or 1800s. Um, a ship go crashes on an island, and all the crews there. And a couple months later, some of the crew comes back and tells these stories of what happened on the island. And we're like, you know, we had to, like, fight to survive, whatever. And then the other part of the crew comes back a few months later after that unexpectedly and says the first crew is lying and they left us there on purpose. And there's I don't totally understand the drama there. It's based off a book that the guy, the author is the same guy who did Killers of the Flower Moon. So it's probably fantastic. But, yeah, man, I hope we get one more movie. Um I think he's. I think he still feels like he could do a few more. It's just wait, whether his body will let him do it. I think at some point they just got to start him, like let him direct movies from his couch. Like I feel like he. I feel like he could do it. I don't know if we need to be like flying him around the world. I will say this last thing before we get out of here. I'm gonna watch Boardwalk Empire because I guess he directed the first episode. So I'm gonna try that out, and if I like it enough, I'm gonna stick with it. I'm not sure if you ever watched it. I tried watching the first episode and didn't like it. Okay. He also did the first episode of Vinyl on HBO a few years ago. Yeah. And I have seen that and it's good, but I didn't stick with it either. Okay. I'll, I'll check both of those out. Well, all right. Thank you. I love you. Thank you for coming on this with me. I'm glad we could do this and talk about our favorite guy. We'll have to do something when Fincher comes up. You got to see the killer before everybody else because you're a fucking prick. So Hado will yeah. be back to talk about Fincher too. Um so yeah, that'll be Hado's role here on the Pop-Off Pod. He'll be coming on and talking about his favorite directors. We'll get you back for Michael Mann on Ferrari, too. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that'll be a good one. Maybe Ridley yeah. and uh, Napoleon. That'll be fun. Nah, you. I don't have many Ridley Scott thoughts, honestly. He's he's no. so hit or miss for me. Okay. Um, All right. But yeah, thanks for having me on the pod. Love you, too. Excited to come back for Fincher. All right, beautiful. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you on the other side. Uh, Tommy Murfeld will come on to talk about Killers of the Flower Moon later this week. That's Hado's Pledge Daddy. Uh, but for now, yeah, how'd you book Murfeld? He's a busy guy. He is a busy you guy. Go through his wants, agent. Yep, Sammy Reed. It's tough to get through his in. people. Yep. He yeah. plugged me in. Silence your cell phones now.